Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. look good out in the cold. I I had to go shopping for some more church clothes. (laughs) I had to to upgrade my church wardrobe. Anybody else? (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Well, I just love you guys. Good morning. Good morning. We're going to be in Luke 18 today. If you want to turn there, I'm going to be reading out of the Passion Translation And um, let's dive in. So verse one. One one day, Jesus taught the apostles to keep praying and never stop or lose hope. And he shared with them this illustration. You know, sometimes when it's Jesus talking I just like to stop and get in the way of his words. Sometimes it, it, sometimes we can read the Bible sitting on the side and imagining Jesus saying what he's saying to the people he's saying it to. But when it's Jesus speaking, we, I just love to take extra care to make sure I'm getting in the way of what he's saying. That I'm stepping off the sidelines of history, off the sidelines of my personal story, and I'm stepping into the way of his words. So that the, the word of God becomes like a sword that pierces our very soul. And we just imagine Jesus saying the words he's saying to us individually, personally. And I, I just felt this morning that Jesus wanted to encourage us, keep praying never stop. Don't lose hope. In this whole illustration, we're going to hear Jesus say, we're going to get in the way of his words. Keep praying. Wherever you're at in your story, in your season, keep praying. Don't stop. Don't lose hope. That's what our Savior is saying to us this morning. And he gives this illustration. In a certain town, there was a civil judge, a thick-skinned and godless man who had no fear of others' opinions. And there was a poor widow in that town who kept pleading with the judge, grant me justice and protect me against my oppressor. And you know, this illustration is really showing us two things, who we're called to be, and who our God is. And, you know, this civil judge is, he, I, I just stopped at the part where it says, he had no fear of, of others' opinions. There was no moral compass inside of this judge. And, you know, we talk a lot. And in my personal life, I've been on a journey for a long time about not living by the fear of man, not living by the opinions of people. Anybody else been on that journey? You walk that road and, you know, it's possible 
to stop caring about the opinions of people. This, this judge had no fear of others' opinions and it's possible to arrive there because of a hard heart. Has anybody ever been so exhausted because you gave your life to caring that you just no longer had any care left in you? <laughs> anybody ever been so wounded from putting your heart out there again and again and feeling the opinions of people cut you deep or the fear of people cut you deep? And it's possible to arrive at no longer caring about what people think because our heart got hard. And Jesus walked the earth without a rudder that cared about what people thought because he was so free to love people. And true freedom from the opinions of man, from the fear of man, comes because perfect love casts it out. And true freedom in our own personal life shows up from freedom from the fear of man by going low to serve people. And, you know, I, I just, I constantly am seeing a generation of radical, wild God lovers who aren't moved by the opinion of man, not because we got hard or calloused, but because we discovered the deep wells of the love of God and perfect love drew out all fear. And, you know, Jesus didn't fear people because he was on a mission to love and serve people. And you can't love and serve what you're tied to with a chain of fear. And you know, in this illustration, this judge wasn't granting justice because he cared. He was granting justice because he had a hard heart and was annoyed. <laughs> Let's go on and listen. And the, the widow was pleading, grant me justice and protect me against my oppressor. He ignored her pleas for quite some time, but she kept asking. Eventually, he said to himself, this widow keeps annoying me, demanding her rights, and I'm tired of listening to her. Even though I'm not a religious man and I don't care about the opinions of others, I'll just get her off my back by answering her claims for justice and I'll rule in her favor. Then she'll leave me alone. And the Lord continued, this was Jesus. Did you hear what the ungodly judge said? That he would answer her persistent request? Don't you know that God, the true judge, will grant justice to all of his chosen ones who cry out to him night and day? He will pour out his spirit upon them. He will not delay to answer you and give you what you ask for. God will give swift justice to those who don't give up. So be ever praying, ever expecting, just like the widow was with the judge. Yet when the son of man comes back, will he find this kind of persistent faithfulness in his people? And you know, she, she was persistent in asking for justice from her adversary. And in, you know, in the, in the life that we are living, your oppressor, the one who is your enemy is the devil. That we are not seeking justice first from people ever. That, you know, Dan talked about it last week, that our battle is not against flesh and blood. And, you know, sometimes I, when I look back on my story, it's easy to mistake 
a need for growth with an injustice. And you know, the, the heart of what the thief wants to steal from you is your identity and the reality of who your God is. So when you, when you feel that you are being stolen from, let, let's just take an example in, in our normal everyday life, that if you feel like in your life, people are constantly taking from you. Like I feel violated by this scenario at work. I feel violated by this constant feeling of being overwhelmed in my life that I never have energy. I never, I feel like my joy is constantly being taken from, that my hope is constantly being taken from, that I'm living overwhelmed. And you know, the, the biggest thing that's being stolen from you in that moment is not a specific scenario, but the reality of your identity the reality of who you are, that you are not a doormat, that you, you are not a dumping zone, that you, you are not, um, you know, that the, you are powerful enough to arrange your life to be strong and true before the right God. And you know, the, the lack of boundaries in our life, living a life where we are monitoring our flow of hope, our flow of peace, our flow of joy comes from our identity. And it's the very thing that the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. You living aware of who you are and who you belong to. So if you're constantly feeling run down, you, your identity as an overcomer is being stolen. And there's a persistence to constantly be coming before the Father. Give me justice. Give me justice. And, you know, we just got done teaching our healthy relationships elective in the school. And one question I ask every year is, who gets to throw up in your bedroom? <laughs> because, you know, this thing happened when I had my children when they're super little and they have to throw up, the first place they run is to my bedroom and, and they just throw up right there. Like, oh my gosh, this, you, you are puking on my floor right here. Like you think I'm a toilet. Like that, I, I, and it's a process of, of having it, to teach our children, oh, I'm actually not a toilet and this is what we do with puke. We, we take it to the toilet you know, and, and it's a normal part of people that have access to you having to learn who you are. And, you know, when puke is a normal part of growing and developing and, but when my children are 30 and they live two blocks down, Lord willing, if, if at 2 a.m. they're getting in their car and driving around the corner and parking and running upstairs to my bedroom and interrupting my rest with their vomit, I'm the one with a problem, right? And, you know, when, when we're constantly feeling like we are swimming in a mess, that, that we are overwhelmed 
by even the problems out there in our society that the, you know, that our rest as children of the, of the living God is continually being interrupted because of circumstance, because of process. You know, there, there is a deficit in our identity and knowing what real love looks like because real love is constantly showing the world the way of real health, that it is my responsibility to make sure I don't become a toilet. It's my responsibility to make sure I don't become a garbage dump and I'm constantly living in, in the odor of what, what isn't our portion to live in. Because when, when we have experienced what true justice is in our own life, we, are, we become a sign and a wonder to the world all around us that there is a God who has a solution to your mess, that there's no guilt or shame that you have a mess, that what we have straight and true and a pure motive is going low enough to show the world you don't have to be a doormat, to show the world love does not look like accumulating the trash of all the nations and letting it disrupt your soul. Love actually looks like I know the God of justice and I'm gonna be persistent with the heart of the matter, not building a life around the need to grow into our identity. And you know, sometimes there, there is a lack of development I've seen in my own life because of, of the pain of having to realize I first have to decide I am no longer going to live a life of a toilet bowl, you know? And the, I love the persistence in this widow because at some point she decided she was worth not giving up on. At some point she decided, I'm not gonna let this go. And you know, in, in our stories, we can see places where we decided it was too exhausting to keep fighting for that. It was too exhausting to keep going back again and again and again. And Jesus is giving us an illustration to see you're worth it because of who your God is and because of who he says you are. And you know, the, when Jesus goes in to describe this judge, he is describing, you know, has anybody ever thought of God the way that he's describing the evil judge? The widow keeps annoying me, demanding her rights, and I'm tired of listening to her. So I'm just gonna give her what she wants so she'll leave me alone. And, and you know, I can look back on seasons of my life where this judge felt like my God. And we go, I would go before him like a beggar. Like, man, if I, if I, if I can just convince him to do this one thing, if I can just convince him to bring me breakthrough in this one way. And you know, you are a beggar no longer. Like our, our judge is not this evil judge that Jesus is comparing this illustration to. He's the very opposite. Jesus says, you having a good judge, how much more will he not speedily bring justice to every one of his chosen ones that ask? And you know, the, the orphan mentality 
comes before God like a, a beggar is out on the side of the road. And you know, orphans and sons are both born with the same needs. We, we all have needs that we bring before the Father. But orphans let their needs push them out to the side of the road like a beggar because there's nowhere to go. There's no father to bring the need to. And sons, they, instead of learning shame in needs, instead of learning the way of a beggar, a son learns the way of joy in needs. That it's my joy to bring my requests to the father because our needs bring us to the door of a good father, that there's a father in the house. And so when we're coming before the father with our requests, feeling like we have a pan out, begging, 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 we're needing a deeper understanding of who we are to him, that we are beggars no longer, that our needs actually bring joy to our heart because it reminds us to go inside the house. It reminds us walk in and see the happy countenance of a good father who's overwhelmingly pleased to give us what we're asking for. And so if we're, if we're constantly feeling a deficit and a lack in our prayer life when we're coming before the Father, it, it's part of what has been stolen in the injustice in seeing him as I'm a daughter relating to a father. And you know, everything that we come before the father for, it, it, it says, how will he not pour out his spirit upon them? And at the very bottom of our every need is the answer of the Holy Spirit. That there is no deficit or injustice in your life right now that an outpouring of the Holy Spirit cannot fix. And that, you know, he, he loved us so much and wanted to be connected to us so deeply that he didn't just say, I'll give you what you need. He said, I'll be what you need. So if you, if you have an injustice in your body this morning, that you, you have some sort of physical ailment. He didn't just pay an extraordinary price to hand you a healing. He, he said, I will be your healing. He didn't just hand you a redemption ticket and write off every wrong thing you ever did. He said, I will be your redemption. I will actually step into your life and be what you need. And even like Justin was saying this morning, the entire kingdom is inside the Holy Spirit. And every time you come before the Father with a request, his first response is, I'm gonna give you the entire kingdom. I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna give you abundantly above and beyond anything you could ever ask, dream, or think. And you're, you're petitioning for one injustice. And he's saying, my response is to give you the whole kingdom. My response is to give you the best of who I am without reservation. And you know, the, everything that we are looking for in the realm of justice has been provided in the person of Jesus. And when we're coming looking for justice, we're looking for a king. And when the world is crying out for legitimate injustice, the world is crying out for a king like Jesus.
And every injustice has been swallowed up by the justice of Jesus on the cross. Perfect justice is seen in the perfect person of Jesus. And you know, every injustice in your life has been defeated at the feet of Jesus. And our perspective when we pray is radically different when we see the solution has already been given. So if I, if I have a legitimate sickness in my body today, and I am waiting for justice to manifest, I've, I've gotta go back to the grave. I've gotta go back to the place where I was buried. Where, to the place where I was crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live so that we don't become people on planet earth begging for something that's already been given. And I, I've got to look at her in the grave and I got to take a minute. I, I, I got to see. She was broken beyond repair. She was wrapped up in a disease in the soul. The self-pity had taken a hold of every part of who she was, violation after violation of perfect love ruined who she was. There was brokenness that no amount of counseling, no amount of self-help, no amount of any type of earthly solution could have ever fixed what the devil had stolen after generations and generations of violations of love. And, and Jesus came and finished every injustice in your story. So you are a whole person on a journey of walking out and receiving every single thing he's given you. E Ephesians says, we have already been gifted with every spiritual gift in the heavenly places. So we are, we are living from the fullness of Jesus towards our story. And you know, the, the trap is to get us to live inside of our story from circumstance to circumstance, looking for the goodness of God. I'm in my story, there, I see an injustice here, I see a lack here, that's not the gospel here, that's not the kingdom here. And I'm just searching every day, looking for his goodness. But that's not the gospel, that's exhausting. You wake up every morning and you live inside of his goodness. The first thing we see when we wake up in the morning is a happy judge, is a, is a Jesus who says, come and rest in me. Because although there's tribulation in the world, although there's pain in the world, I have overcome the world. And we wake up every morning inside the victory of Jesus. We wake up every day to new mercy, mercy that is plenty for whatever we're facing in our story. And we live towards our circumstance from his goodness. And if we're not living from his goodness and informing our circumstances about who our judge is, our circumstances will begin to inform us our pain will begin to inform us. The injustice will begin to inform us. And our destiny is to be people that inform the world, that inform our story about a God who is good, about a King who is enough. And you know, your persistent faithfulness 
is birthed inside of his faithful persistence. That your goodness on the earth is birthed inside of his goodness, who he is. And, and so, you know, whatever you're facing in your story right now, that is an injustice. It's stealing from your identity. It's stealing from your awareness of who he is. You got to go all the way back to the grave and take a good look at what has been done. Like you've got to inform the resurrected Jesus Christ inside of you that I know the story. I know what happened on the cross. I know that you know my name. I know that you inscribed it on the palm of your hand. And every illness, you go and you look in the grave and you say, I know what's coming. I know what you did. I, every place of lack, every place that you feel like a beggar, you've got to go visit the tombstone. And you got to decide what's going to be written on there. Like it's gone for good. It's finished. You can't be kind of dead. There, there's no such thing as, well, a part of me died. <laughs> like like I, I, I lost half of my soul. No, like either you're dead or you're not dead. And, you know, Graham Cook says dead people rest in peace. In any area of our life where rest is consistently being interrupted, we got to go back and remember what the blood of Jesus did. We got to remember what the person of justice did, that he was overwhelmingly more than enough for everything you need. And, you know, true faith is not denial. It says when Jesus comes back, will he find faith on the earth? And, and faith is not writing out the facts in your story. Well, I just think it's true. I think it's true. I think it's true. No, like faith sees the real story. Hope sees the real story. It's not a fantasy. It's not pretend. Faith steps into the real story and says, I see you, but I see a God who is bigger. And faith begins to inform every place of deficit in your life. And you know, the, the hardness that we see in this judge's heart, ah, man, it, it, it's sobering when we think that we could get to a place where our circumstance and the, the opinions of others and what our current experience is could start to define for us who our God is. And the very nature of being a believer means I believe, I believe. And there's nothing else that I check with to decide who I'm gonna believe my God is, who I'm gonna believe that he is for me, what I believe he did on the cross, what it accomplished. And you know, the, the journey of living in resurrected life means I am the one informing every dead thing in my life. That I'm the one informing, no, Jesus is enough for that. Jesus is enough for that. The cross is enough for that. The resurrection from the grave is enough for that. And, and you know, Jesus walked the streets saying, I am the resurrection and I am life.
And he, he walked bringing resurrection life wherever he went. So when we find Jesus in places of death and defeat, it's not because he's the author and perfecter of death and defeat. It's because he is the one who causes life to erupt in those places. You know, in Psalms 23, it, it, it says, I will make a table for you in the presence of your enemies. And when we find him in the presence of our adversary, it's not because they're friends. It's not because they do the same kind of work. It's because he has come to overcome the thing that's overcoming you. And he's setting a table in, in the presence of everything that's come to steal the truth of your identity. Everything that's come to taunt and to torment you. He's come to set a table right there and be your sufficiency and be your goodness. And you know, the, the thing that breaks my heart more than anything when I look through the whole of my story and I, I look through just history is when the attributes of the devil are given as the attributes of our God. That the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. Like none of that fits the job, the job description of the Messiah. None of it. And you know, when when we stop being faithful in persistent prayer, when we give up hope, there's a part of our heart that's being invited into another level of his goodness. Another, another level of seeing, man, he gave all so that I could live in freedom. How could I live below what he paid such an extraordinary price for me to step into in fullness? And you know, you, you are worth not giving up on. You are worth continually moving forward into what the extraordinary promises that Jesus has given us. You, you are worth it, you are worth it, you are worth it because Jesus alone defines your worth. And you know, I, I love hearing when the son of man returns Will he find faith on the earth? Will he find this kind of persistent faith on the earth? I love knowing that Jesus is walking the earth looking for something. Because everything inside of me wants to give him what he's looking for. And he's looking for persistent faith. And you can't have persistent faith in heaven. Like we're not gonna need any type of persistent faith. We're gonna be so free, so alive. The fullness of everything we promised is going to be surrounding us. Like your lifetime is the only opportunity you have to give Jesus what he's looking for in persistent faith. That when he walks into any season of my story, I want him to find persistent faith. That I believed you were good. I believe that you are who you say you are. I believed what you said over my own life. I believed, I believed, I believed. And Jesus is stepping into each of our stories today. And he's looking for the aroma of persistent faith. 
of, of faith that is relentless. Not first in believing, I'm gonna get this breakthrough, I'm gonna walk in this way, but that is persistent in believing in who he is. That he's not the unrighteous judge, but that he's the good, kind, true judge. And you know, Graham, Graham Cook says, the best thing any of us could ever do with our life is trust it to the nature of God. To trust it to who he says he is. And every area of your life that needs breakthrough right now is an invitation to see him for who he truly is. And is an invitation to see who you truly are to him. It's not first about getting the breakthrough that you're looking for. It's about, I'm in, the mo I'm in a moment of receiving an upgrade in my relationship with Jesus. I, I'm, I'm gonna see him through this in a way I've never seen him before. I'm not just gonna receive my he healing. I'm, gonna, I'm going to know the healer in a more intimate way. I'm not just gonna receive my provision. I'm gonna know my provider. I'm gonna study his face. I'm gonna memorize him. And you know, whatever impossibility, whatever injustice you feel like you're facing, I just feel there, there is an invitation to lift our gaze on the person who is our answer. And you know, I remember the first year we moved here, uh, we were here about six months and, and our girls got whooping cough. And I didn't even know what whooping cough was. So we had a baby and I was sitting at the table and we had just got the report back from the doctor. They have pertussis, whooping cough. And so I, I just typed in whooping cough, you know, because you ask Google, right? And I'm sitting at the computer and all these statistics popped up about the amount of babies in the United States of America that die every year from whooping cough. And my heart started to race and I just felt this wave of fear well up in me. And I just felt the magnitude of the injustice in my daughter's body. And I, I shut the computer and I just made a decision in the moment, you know? Sometimes the best thing we can do is be afraid and trust him anyway. We, we, can't, we can't control our first response when we feel a violation has taken place in our life. But we always get to choose what we're gonna do in the middle of that response. And I, I can choose in the moment, it's what the spirit of freedom does. Every moment of every day, the one thing I will always get to choose is how I'm gonna respond. And I just remember closing the computer and thinking, well, there's never gonna be a great moment to trust him with what matters most to me. There, there's never gonna be a better season. And you know, there's this dangling carrot that a spirit of fear brings is that, oh, when you're over this thing, you'll finally have rest. Oh, when you navigate through this, you'll finally be able to sleep at night. That anxiety will finally be silenced. You could finally get, a, get on with your life. And the whole goal of a spirit of fear is to steal, kill, and destroy your current present moment. Because it's a dangling carrot. Fear can never give you what your soul is craving. No, the, no physical resolution to anything you're currently facing 
can bring a lasting peace to your soul. Because if you look back over your story, you could see situations where that thing you feared did not happen. And then in the next season, the fear was back knocking on your door. Because a resolution in the natural can never fix a problem in the soul, a deficit in the soul. And so whatever you're afraid of today, there's not a better season to look that thing square in the eyes and say, I choose to trust my God. And no matter how afraid I get, if my knees shake, if my hands are sweaty, I'm choosing to trust my God. And I don't need an emotional response to validate I'm the type of person that believes in my God. And you know, I, I just shut the computer and I said, I'm gonna choose to trust you. And I was walking through the hallway and I heard the father say, she's my dream. And all of this peace just went through my spirit and I had never had the opportunity before that moment. You know, I always say about my, all my girls, you're my dream come true. And my fourth, we always dreamed of having four babies and I would just always say, my fourth baby is my dream come true. And I had never seen him as the one who the dream originated with, with my baby. That she was my dream before you even came into existence. And instead of resting in my own trust in his love for me, I, I, I saw him as the one I could trust in his love for her. That he has more love for her than I could ever spend an entire lifetime pouring out on her. And this little tiny baby that before the foundation of the world, he fashioned her every part of who, he would, of who she would be that she didn't begin with me. She began before even the stars took their shape because she was the father's idea. And I caught a glimpse of his love for her that shaped the entire next, you know, we didn't leave the house from November to I like, February or March, you know, well, we took turns leaving the house because she couldn't go out in public. And, you know, that I, it was an opportunity. The circumstance was an opportunity to experience him in a way I had never known him before. And every injustice, when he's not the author, he didn't author death, defeat, sickness, illness, but it's it's our honor to get to step inside the story and say, show me who you are. Show me your ways, show me your goodness. Show me something about you that I've never seen before in the whole of my life. And that, that is our journey of walking with him and talking with him and keeping the main thing, the main thing that I'm gonna walk through this fire. And when I come out on the other end, I'm gonna know him like I've never known him before. And you know, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they went through the fire and came out on the other side, not even smelling like smoke. Not, you know, it was a massive injustice what King Nebuchadnezzar did to them. And instead of walking the rest of their life with a limp, of, of woundedness from a wicked king, they came out without even a hair on their head singed because the overwhelming emphasis in your story and in legitimate injustice that has been done to you 
from your oppressor is not how evil the devil is, not how traumatic the stories in your life are, but the overwhelming reality of your beautiful God, that your God is enough, that your God takes completely dead things and resurrects them back to fullness of life. And that in, in this season, wherever you're at in your story, keep praying, keep hoping, keep believing because you've fallen in love with the presence of the one who is faithful. And you know, I watched a video this week of Stephanie Gretzinger leading a, a time of worship. And she, she said she saw the cloud of witnesses leaning into this season. And she heard them singing, he's worthy, he's worth it. He's worthy, he's worth it. He's worthy, he's worth it. And every saint that has gone before us, that's in the cloud of witnesses, has zero question about the worthiness of Jesus for our faithfulness, about the worthiness of Jesus for our trust. No saint in heaven is having a hard time believing. I'm gonna keep knocking. I'm gonna keep pressing on. I'm not gonna doubt what he's told me is true. There's not one saint in heaven that is losing any hours of sleep in the night. No rest is being disrupted over the faithfulness of our God. And we, we step into our moment of offering by stepping into the reality of our story and saying, he's worth it. He's worthy. He's worth it. He's worthy. And you know, I just want to close with us all standing up and I've had a passage on my mind this week that I just want to commission us all as a family that in this season, whatever's going on, that this is the song of our heart, that we're gonna be persistent, that we're not gonna stop believing that what he said is true. We're gonna keep hoping. And this is um, Psalm 27, and this is King David. And I just, I just felt like if I, if I could articulate what I feel brewing in all of our hearts every time we gather, what, what I hear the song coming out when I talk to people individually, it's just these words of King David. So you can lift your hands, you can put your hand on your heart, but this is what we're gonna say to the Lord together. The Lord is my revelation light to guide me along the way. He's the source of my salvation to defend me every day. I fear no one. I'll never turn back and run. For Lord, you surround and protect me. When evil ones come to destroy me, they will be the ones who turn back. My heart will not be afraid, even if an army rises to attack. I know that you are there for me, so I will not be shaken. Here's the one thing I crave from God. The one thing I seek above all else. I want the privilege of living with him every moment in his house, finding the sweet loveliness of his face, filled with awe, delighting in his glory and grace. I wanna live my life so close to him that he takes pleasure in my every prayer. In his shelter in the day of trouble, that's where you'll find me, for he hides me there in his holiness. He has smuggled me into his secret place where I'm kept safe and secure out of reach from all my enemies. Triumphant now, I'll bring him my offerings of praise.
singing and shouting with ecstatic joy. Yes, listen, and you can hear the fanfare of my shouts of praise to the Lord. God, hear my cry, show me your grace, show me your mercy and send the help I need. Lord, when you said to me, seek my face, my inner being responded, I'm seeking your face with all my heart. So don't hide yourself, Lord, when I come to find you. You're the God of my salvation. How can you reject your servant in anger? You've been my only hope. So don't forsake me now when I need you. My father and mother abandoned me. I'm like an orphan, but you took me in and made me yours. Now teach me all about your ways and tell me what to do. Make it clear for me to understand for I'm surrounded by waiting enemies. Don't let them defeat me, Lord. You can't let me fall into their clutches. They keep accusing me of things I've never done while they plot evil against me. Yet I totally trust you to res rescue me one more time so that I can see once again how good you are while I'm still alive. Here's what I've learned through it all. This is one of our heroes of the faith, King David. If we could sit down with him and say, what did you learn at the end of your life? What did you learn from it all? This is what he would say. Here's what I've learned through it all. Don't give up. Don't be impatient. Be entwined as one with the Lord. Be brave, courageous, and never lose hope. Yes, keep on waiting for he will never disappoint you. Can we just celebrate him? That's our God. He will never disappoint you. Thank you, Jesus. So good. You're the worthy one. You're worth it and you're worthy. You're worth it and you're worthy in every season of our life, Jesus. Find us faithful. Find us persistent. Find us ever believing, ever hoping, being brave and courageous to believe you are who you say you are. We love you, Jesus. You're worthy and you're worth it. You're worthy and you're worth it right here in this season. We love you, God. We love you, God. Find us faithful. Find us grateful. Wherever you walk into our season, find us believing in you in a way that's not never been available in any other season of our life. We trust in you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And everybody says, amen. All right, love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.